Because the more diversity of fruit and vegetables you have with all the fibre, the textures, the colour, the plant chemicals and everything in there, that that promotes uh, lots of diversity of different bacteria in, in the gut. And when you have diversity of bacteria then that correlates with good health, everything from, you know, good weight to a strong immune system to um, good gut health. Hi, my name is Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, medical doctor, author of The Four Pillar Plan and television presenter. I believe that all of us have the ability to feel better than we currently do, but getting healthy has become far too complicated. With this podcast, I aim to simplify it. I'm going to be having conversations with some of the most interesting and exciting people both within as well as outside the health space to hopefully inspire you as well as empower you with simple tips that you can put into practice immediately to transform the way that you feel. I believe that when we are healthier, we are happier because when we feel better, we live more. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of my Feel Better Live More podcast. My name is Rongan Chatterjee and I am your host. Before we get started today, just a quick word to let you know that I'm going to be doing multiple talks around the UK and Dublin in January 2019 to celebrate the launch of my new book, The Stress Solution. You can see all the live dates at drchatterjee.com forward slash events. Also on my website, you can access a free six-part video series that I have created to help you get more energy. You can get hold of all six videos at drchatterjee.com forward slash energy. Now, today's guest is Jeanette Hyde, nutritional therapist, gut health expert, and author of The Gut Makeover. My conversation with Jeanette was actually recorded a few months ago, but I think the content is as relevant now as ever, especially at this time of year, when many of us are feeling the pressures of the festive season. We discuss the best foods that we can consume to improve our gut health, the various stages of behavior change, how alcohol affects us, and throughout the conversation, Jeanette fills us in with fascinating stories from her clinic. This episode is full of tips on the simple things that we can all do to improve our own gut health. Now, before we get started, I do need to give a very quick shout out to our sponsors, who are essential in order for me to be able to put out weekly podcast episodes like this one. Athletic Greens continue their support of my podcast. I prefer that people get all of their nutrition from food, but for some of us, this is not always possible. Athletic Greens is one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I've come across and contains vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, and digestive enzymes. If you are looking to take something each morning as an insurance policy to make sure that you are meeting your nutritional needs, I can highly recommend it. For listeners of this podcast, if you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more, you will be able to access a special offer where you get a free travel pack box containing 20 servings of Athletic Greens, which is worth around £70 with your first order. You can check it out at athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. Now, on to today's conversation. Jeanette, welcome to the podcast. Hello, nice to see you again. Yeah, Jeanette, it's fantastic to have you on. Uh, One of the reasons I really wanted to have a conversation with you is that not only have you written a fantastic book on the guts called The Gut Makeover, 
but you you know you're working day in day out with you know what i would call patients i guess you call clients real life people who are you know they've got busy lives and they're trying to improve their health and i really want to do a podcast with some real practical tips from someone at the coalface so you know i i wonder what are those common problems that you're seeing in your clinic and what are some of those things that people potentially doing you know they think they're being healthy with but actually when they see you they're not being quite as healthy as as you might want them to be yes exactly so um a lot of people come and see me um the various things will drive them to make that appointment but one of the big ones is IBS. So a lot of people have sort of been around the block a lot of times and they're not making progress. They've tried the FODMAP diet, which a lot of people listening to this might know, which is where you take out all these foods with particular types of fibre in them for about a month, don't you? And that's um, quite often what GPs might recommend somebody with IBS. Or they may have tried things on their own. They've been down the health food store, they've bought a probiotic, but that doesn't seem to do anything or it bloats them even worse. Um, so they're looking for kind of expert one-on-one -on -one help with, with the journey and also using, um, you know, quite very up-to-date, innovative approaches. Uh, you had the wonderful Sachin Panda on the last two podcasts that yeah. I've just listened to. And, you know, he is, you know, one of the main guys behind the time-restricted feeding um, research from, you know, the Salk Institute in San Diego. And I I remember in 2015 when I was writing The Gut Makeover, looking at his uh, mouse studies that were coming out yeah. at that time. And I literally thought I, w I was reading them wrong because, you know, they he had these three groups of mice, you know, and they would be, um, you know... Shall I just like get, um, go right into detail straight away here? Do but, it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So there were the, the 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 one in 2015. He'd done several before. Then was this particular study where there were three groups of mice. They were all given exactly the same calorie count of food over four months. You had one group that could eat the food, the chow, at any time they felt like it. You had one group that could eat in a 12-hour window, and one group that could eat in an eight-hour window. And at the end of it. The mice that were eating all day long, you know, the kind of Western 24-7, you know, snacking all day long kind of uh, pattern, they were all obese. And the ones in the 12-hour window and the 8-hour window lost weight. You know, the ones in the 8-hour window lost most. They also dissected their guts and looked at their microbiomes. And the microbiomes of the 12 and the 8-hour ones were much, much, you know, they were healthy, the bacteria was thriving and all this kind of thing. So what it was, so I used, I started using time-restricted feeding in my practice and I've also used that in my book. And I've even sort of recently tweaked it a bit more how I'm using it one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but I'm just to come back to, there are all kinds of very interesting pieces of research out there for dealing with gut issues and, and uh, manipulating your microbiome and improving symptoms of IBS that often people haven't, you know, um, it hasn't come on the radar yet. So I, I work with lots of things like that. I also do lots of stool testing with the IBS and find out if there's any root causes, you know, parasites, yeast infections, not producing enough of the right enzymes to break food down. And I also talk to people and I look at their lifestyles very closely. You know, some people never even imagined that the fact that they're wolfing down their desk while they're answering 20 emails is part of, part of the problem as well. And then on top of the IBS, you normally have people 
people often quite low mood or their anxiety is really bad or they're not sleeping very well or they can't lose any weight, even though they're, they, they might say to me, I'm eating 1,500 calories a day, I've been doing this for two years, you know, nothing's happened, you know, the weight has got stuck as well. So what are you and, finding? And so let's say someone comes to see you yeah. and they're struggling to lose weight. And I, and I appreciate there are so many different factors that play a role yes. in someone's weight. But, you know, what, what are some of the common themes that you see when people are saying, hey, Jeanette, you know, I've been trying to lose weight for the last three years. I've tried this diet and this diet and this diet and I've not managed to help me. You know, are are there some common themes that you see that people are either not telling you about or that they're doing wrong? Well, usually they have got um, digestive symptoms. It'll be bloating, you know, uh, either loose stools or constipation or chronic acid reflux. I mean, sometimes when people talk to me about bloating, they say, I look six months pregnant before yeah. I go to bed. And I used to think they were that was a sort of term, a phrase, and they were exaggerating. And then they started sending me photos, you know, <laughs> on my phone and in their pyjamas, you know, and, and then I kind of, I, they really did, you know, thin people with these big, um, but lots of them. And then they, I see the food diaries and often it's like wonderful food diaries, you know, um, very, very sort of all round diets, eating a good quality breakfast, lunch, dinner, you know, um, um, uh, you know, good protein in there, lots of variety. You know, they're doing lots and lots of good things. You know, do you want to know what the but is? The but is, it's a massive blind spot for a lot of people is um, the, the alcohol and wow. binge drinking at the weekend. And these are, you know, it's not always, but the, all walks of life, you know, um, people who are retired, some people have, you know, the high-flying jobs. And they're drinking a lot of alcohol and they they haven't, they then haven't put, put two and two together that their IBS is terrible all the time. You know, like not even knowing if they're going to make it to the loo on time. You know, the IBS is so bad. So bad. Um, but th they've got this kind of big thing, elephant in the room that's not being acknowledged. Yeah, that, that, that's really interesting, Jeanette. I mean, first of all, just to, to clarify for those listening, IBS is something we call irritable bowel syndrome. And we think it might affect up to 20% of the UK population at any, you know, at some point in their lives, which is just a remarkable statistic. And it's something that I think medical doctors traditionally, many medical doctors haven't really taken that seriously. I think that is changing now. But I can tell you that, uh, as I'm sure you've seen, Jeanette, that these patients are, are really struggling. You know, their, their symptoms are having a real negative impact on their quality of life. You know, I know people who've left their jobs before because they're too nervous. They're, they're nervous they have to walk past their boss to go to the toilet 10 times a day. So they'd rather leave their job. You know, really huge impacts. Yeah, no, and, it's massive. Yeah, and the embarrassment as well of having terrible wind and working in an open plan office, things like that. Yeah, and, I think it's, it's a and, real problem that we yeah, need to take yeah. more seriously. And, you know, we, we, we call this condition IBS as if it's one condition as we both well know there are so many different causes and in different people there'll be different things causing those symptoms we're also talking about weight loss here with Jeanette and I what well, well, you know I, I'd love to delve into alcohol because I, I also see that where people are not putting the two and two together it's, it's, it's as if the alcohol is you know that's a part of my lifestyle you know that's that's static I'll change my diets I'll, I'll read all these wonderful blogs or I'll buy these books and I'll make these changes, but that is an unchangeable. So I'm interested, you know, what impact is alcohol having and how do you go about having that conversation with them? Well, it, it, it's it's interesting. I mean, you probably know about the five stages of change. If people yeah. don't, there's, you know, you're in denial, 
And then the second change is you might sort of um, start to contemplate making a change. And then the third one might be you start researching into the change. And the fourth would be action where you implement the change. And the fifth will be maintaining the change. So I also think people shouldn't be too hard on themselves. You have to realise you don't just wake up one morning and you're alcohol free. It is a real journey. So number one is, you know, you have to get right back to the beginning with the denial stage. And many, many people are in complete denial. So maybe hopefully even just doing a podcast like this might move somebody from denial onto research. Well, that's the goal, really. It's just to give, you know, that's why I want... Yeah, so moving people on. So that's what I I, I do. Um, So, and also... um, you know, work with people for them to maybe start to realise that they are drinking a lot more than they think. Because, of course, they all say on the food diary, I drink a couple of glasses of red wine a night. And you get into detail and in the most unjudgmental way, by the way, because you just need the facts. You can't help people until you've got the information. You can't. So hiding it from the nutritional therapist doesn't help because you can't. So but but you you kind of got to have trust, rapport, so people will open up and they will then sort of talk about it in more detail and when we get into more detail I they open up and they hear themselves talking about actually what's going on they'll be going oh yes well I'm not as bad as my friends because when I go to the rugby I only have six pints or you know they talk about well yes I only drink at the weekend because you know my husband he, uh, he wants me to keep him company when he drinks yeah. and he'll be really annoyed if I don't join in too and then you sort of say oh so so what, what's a Saturday look like and you know they'll start going well we at the lunchtime, we might go and have a couple of drinks down the local pub, and, and then they'll tell you about the rest of the day. And actually, they sit there talking, and as they're talking, they realise and you realise that actually they're drinking all weekend long. Yeah, and, and I think that's you know it's really important, isn't it, to 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 deal with our the people we're trying to help in a very compassionate, very kind way, and have those sort of frank conversations and I often find that as well when a patient starts to, you know when they feel that their space has been created in, in, in a very non-judgmental way they start opening up and as they're saying it they often you know the penny almost drops yeah, right. in the consultation yeah, room that oh wait a minute that is <laughs> you, you can almost in many ways I think it's that in the context of their own life and their own environments, they can get very used to certain habits and that can appear to be normal in the context of their life. But it's only when they're having to tell someone, you know, a third party that has no, you know, personal or emotional relationship with them, that it can start to, I think, you know, they, they, the penny starts to drop and they think, wait a minute, actually, I'm drinking a bit too much, aren't I? And, and I think that's so important because, you know, I always say that patients or, or clients are not going to make a change long term just because we've asked them to. I really don't think Absolutely they are. Absolutely not, no. I, I think it's no. only going to be when they start to feel the difference and they start to be part of that process. And I know that's something you take very seriously mm. with with your patients. I know you use um you know you 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 talk about I've heard you talk about this before, um, about this whole concept of motivational interviewing. And you talked to me about how information isn't necessarily the problem behavioural changes. Yeah. I don't wonder if you could just elaborate on that. Yeah, well, that it's exactly what you just said, is people um, won't do something because you've told them to do it. They have to have intrinsic motivation. So when we meet, what I really try hard to do is to jump on, find out lots about you and what you love doing and, and, and what things are important to you and then try to work 
with you to ask you the question so that you can suggest the solutions. And what happens is, so I'll give you an example. So I, I might be, um, you know, when I get to know you, you know, you might say, oh, I love history. I, um, I, I, I'm, I'm learning Spanish. Um, you know, this might all sound irrelevant, but it's not. It, um, it might be, I really, really love seeing my girlfriends. But do you see those three things? And then you can even, like history. Oh, so what kind of things? You get into it, historical building. Have you got a National Trust card? I used to a long time ago. Why did, have you thought about getting one now? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I used to love National Trust at the weekends. I could go walking. I could meet my friends, you know. And suddenly that's like, rather than it being... It's a way in, right? Yeah, a... yeah, and then rather than it being, oh, yeah, we always meet up and we always go to the pub and we always drink when we meet this particular group of friends. It might be, well, we're going to have a picnic at the National Trust. I know that might sound a bit silly, but I what I find is people, they kind of start imagining lovely scenarios, lovely things to do, and then they walk out of the consultation going, oh, Oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait to do this. It doesn't sound silly at all, Jeanette. I mean, this is what I found in, in you know, almost 20 years of seeing patients now. This is, you've got to, you've got to find something that you can resonate with with that patient. Yeah, exactly. It's something that means something to them. You, it's got to be personalised if you're going to get, if you're really going to help our, our patients. So it's got to be personalised. So that makes a lot of sense. And then that National Trust membership that they re-engage with gets them out in nature, which improves our psychological well-being anyway gets them more physically active you know potentially if that's the same person who's drinking a lot at the weekend actually they're out so they're probably drinking a bit less you know all those kind of knock-on effects right exactly yeah and you're finding out what motivates each person so you know it might be somebody who's a real high flyer for instance and they're overweight and uh and they've come but you want them to actually make put the changes into practice but you've got to find out what is the the absolutely almost like the killer question or the 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 absolute biggest thing that will motivate them and I found recently with somebody a high-powered person that it was actually that that their job that basically they have a high-powered job and their earning potential totally rests on them being brain sharp right and you imagine they're eating lots of rubbish and they're drinking heavily and they've noticed they're not so brain sharp. So actually they're really interested in making those changes because they want to stay at the top of their game and be, be brain sharp. They've noticed they're becoming brain foggy. But the... the, the so the interest so, isn't so necessarily, that, that, I want to reduce my risk of heart disease. I no. want to lose weight. My, their interest might be, for example, I want to stay at the top of my game yeah. so I can stay in this yeah, job. Earning and potential. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and that's yeah. that's this whole concept of personalization. And you know, for people who are listening to this right now and are looking for those practical tips that we're going to get into, I'd encourage you to have a little think about, you know, why is it that you want to be healthier? What is it about that? You know, is it the way you look, the way you feel? Is it because of your job? Is it because you want to be, you know, a more active parent and have more energy? What is it? And really try and tap into that. Is that what you're finding in your practice as well? Yeah, yeah, totally. But people have to know that they're going to go out and really enjoy it. So one thing I found with that time-restricted feeding is I just found that people would could imagine instantly that that was something attainable, easy. They're not going to have to go hungry. They don't have to sort of forfeit any foods that they love and they enjoy do they so they literally go oh okay rather than eating at 10 p.m when my husband comes in and going to bed with heartburn every night and I've noticed I've put on a lot of weight over the last year I'll eat with the kids at six 
and I'll have a cup of, a cup of herbal tea with my husband while he's eating his dinner when he comes in at 10. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And then, and then so th that scenario I'm telling you there is actually my sister. Cause she, wow. So, so do you know how people who are in your extended family won't listen to anything that you say? They do literally do put, I ever? <laughs> do they put their hands over their ears? Oh, God, it's Jeanette talking again. Not that nutrition CRAP, as one person put it. <laughs> 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 so do you see what I mean? So I, do, I, do, I don't I don't now uh, tend to, um, you know, you know, make suggestions for people around me at all. That's something you, probably, you have to learn, don't you, as a health practitioner, is to hold back. And only if people ask for help, you know, help. Yeah, so people I, don't want to be lectured I, to when they're not ready not. for it. No, no one does. No, so I, I completely hold back. I, anyway, the time-restricted feeding came out. I went out for lunch with my brother and my sister for my birthday in February. And I think it just came organically into the conversation about time-restricted feeding. My sister was saying that she was doing slim fast and all these other things. And she put on a lot of weight over the last you know, year or so. She was eating late. She was having the acid reflux. And I was talking about time-restricted feeding. Anyway, I saw her very recently. She walked back into the room and I said, oh, you're looking really well. How are you? She said, oh, I've lost a stone. That's about, what, seven kilos or 14 pounds, something like that. She said, the... I've, I did that thing you told me to. I'm having dinner with the kids at six now instead of waiting for the husband. And I've, I've, I've lost that amount of weight. And, I mean, she looks fantastic. And she said that is the only difference I made. It took her three months. She did that in three months. No but other coming changes, back, yeah. coming back to Satchan Panda, um, don't you think that's sort of, like, incredible? There's all these people out there. And I'm, I'm, I'm seeing amazing uh, transformations well, I want to go in into practice. that, into what other changes you're seeing. Yeah. But just for people yeah. who've not heard those two podcasts, I, I encourage you to just go back and whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on, just go into this podcast, the Feel Better Live More podcast. And, you know, a few episodes back was part one and part two of my conversation with Professor Sachinanda Panda, where he talks about a lot of his research that was initially done in animals. He's now moving into human trials about how, you know, we, we focus for so long on changing what we eat. Maybe we need to put as much focus on when we eat. And I think the reason why his podcasts with me have proved so popular is because it's a very practical intervention for people. It makes intuitive sense. And this is about, you know, this whole idea that we're not designed to eat, you know, 24 hours a day or certainly from 6am all the way to 11pm. You know, our bodies are just not designed for that. And I'm also seeing, Jeanette, that if people just restrict the hours in which they eat, and you know what, we, we could delve into this a little bit because I, in my book, The Four Pillar Plan, I talk about a 12-hour window. And the reason I talk about that is because I think that's pretty much practical and achievable for everyone, for pretty much, you yeah, know, absolutely. for pretty much everyone. And yeah. I do, in, in clinic, I do go, you know, a bit deeper with some people. And I cover that in the book. I say, guys, look, some people will benefit from going lower, sure, but just start there, right? See if you can get that dialed in. And I know I try my very best to do that and I manage to on most days, but I know you've been using this in your clinic mm. with patients since 2015, yeah. so about three years now. Yeah. Can you tell me about some of the benefits you've seen? Because I think it's a whole variety of different conditions, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So... um Often people are coming, the, the number one thing on their list of goals that they want to sort of quickly sort out is the IBS symptoms. You know, I was talking about people who like dashing to the bathroom and hardly making it in time and the embarrassment factor. And often that's the number one thing. There may be the weight, there may be mood, sleep, other things as well, but that's the one they want to focus on first. So what I've done quite often is um, get them doing a 16-hour fast. So not for everybody, by the way, because it is quite tough, I think, um, 
um, around lifestyle and all the rest of it. But for the big cases like, you know, um, inflammatory bowel disorder and stuff like that, um, and also diverticulitis um, and, and some of the really bad IBS cases, I start by saying do a 16-hour fast with an eight-hour window so that's eight first. hours in the daytime where but they would eat yeah, food within. Yeah, yeah. And, and do that for the first month. So what's that, is think, that like an 8 a.m. to the 4 p.m.? It or? can be. But do you know what? To, just to get them started, I they they choose what they do it. because. So, for instance, let's say somebody tells me they hate breakfast. I leap on that. I leap on that fact. You know, that's one of my key entry points. I'm like, oh, you don't like breakfast. Well, you don't have to eat breakfast. You know? yeah. <laughs> and they're like, really? I've always been told I've had to eat breakfast, so they don't. So suddenly, instantly, th those kind of people might be very happy to start, you know, 12 eating to late. at 12 to late. Yeah. 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 I'd say what you've, you've seen that with, you've, you've found that useful in patients suffering with irritable bowel syndrome. Yes. And also things like ulcerative colitis and diverticulitis. Wow. So, it's so quite I wasn't, so with the, those people, quite often, you know, the running to the bathroom with all those three conditions I've mentioned there, that's what we're trying to um, improve. And if you go back to the, the mice research, it's the microbiome will flourish and have more diversity just being by not having food sort of charging through it, you know, all day long. Yeah, and so it, what happens, it's like, I say to people, it's like, think of it like a lawn. You need to not walk over it for a few hours. Let it have time to, to flourish and thrive. Yeah, that's a great analogy. And I think, you know, and we'll, we'll get into some real practical tips for gut health. I mean, often a lot of the things we're talking about to improve people's gut health, we're talking about the foods that they can put in through their mouth, you know, that are going to help, you know, feed and nourish their, their gut bugs and their microbiome. But we don't give as much attention to saying, hey, guys, we need a period of time where we're not putting those foods down, even if they are healthy, gut-friendly foods. We're saying we don't, you know, you want a period of time in each 24-hour period where you're not shoving them down your throats because your, your body, like your lawn, as the analogy yeah. you just used, needs a bit of time just to sort of reset. And um, that's something that Tim Spector talks about a lot. You know, Professor Tim Spector yeah, was actually no, on my very first yeah. podcast um, you know, one of the UK's leading microbiome researchers. And he said, you know, he, he often will talk about periods of time where we don't eat and not snacking and having that period of time without food being good for our microbiome, mm. uh, we, which is incredible. So I, I'm interested that you use a very safe approach. I might mm. add, you know. Yeah, I think, no, they've got nothing to lose by doing that. Yeah, because I'm guessing. There's no pills, you know, nothing. And, and I think yeah. that's important to, to really emphasise. People are coming to see you, almost certainly, I guess, they've already been under different doctors and may have tried some pharmaceutical approaches yeah. either they're frustrated with that and they want to come off those drugs or i'm guessing that they actually go i don't want them they don't make me feel good or they're not working they're not working anymore yeah. sometimes yeah jeanette help me do something and so well it's not me helping it's your i'm going to help you help you yeah so that's really key isn't it yeah. so you're not the one helping them no. you're just helping facilitate them yeah, helping themselves yeah. so when you talk about restricting their eating when they're yes. eight hours yeah do you get any pushback? When people are quite, um, their whole life is being affected by something like not getting to the bathroom on time, they're, they're, they're very open. On You know, on the five stages of change, they're not, they've gone past research. They're straight into action. Um, people who um, haven't got such severe 
things going on as that, whereas maybe they, they want to just lose weight or this or that. There can be more pushback. You know, I do have people who go, oh, but, you know, my girlfriend will sort of go mad if I don't eat with her in the evening when she comes home from work. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so no, these people, the ones who are very motivated, especially they've tried all the drugs and, and they're still taking the drugs and the drugs are just not working. You know, things like, you know, IBD, you know, people can be bleeding for, you know, nonstop and it can go on for months and months and months and some people will become housebound even so at that point if somebody says listen don't have breakfast if you don't like breakfast anymore try to eat between 12 and 8 would you do that yeah okay so 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 the people I'm working with have been doing these things quite you know and they, they go they go home and they just get straight on with it and I've had several of these cases and I I thought I was just doing it you know to um regularize the microbiome and get put that in better shape so that is going to have a knock-on impact i wasn't expecting the results as fast as they're coming i mean the 16 hour fast with those two conditions you know um within a, within a month form stalls no bleeding and you know that you know suddenly just, being able to go out the house again i mean that's incredible and you know it, if I think back to that conversation I had with Professor Panda, you know, he talks about, and I've seen, I've read all his research papers about how restricting our eating window can have multiple downstream consequences. Mm. It can reduce inflammation levels in your body. It can uh, improve the functioning of our immune system. And you know, you're talking about ulcerative colitis, which is an autoimmune disorder. Absolutely. It's when the immune system is misfiring yep. to a certain degree. Yep. So you know, this is a this is a recommendation that is having an effect on the immune system. It's helping us with our blood sugar control, which is why I tend to use it a lot uh, with type two diabetic patients. But I'm going to add there that it's very important that if you are on some medications from your doctor for type 2 diabetes, some of them can actually drop your blood sugar or, you know, increase the tendency for you to drop your blood sugar. And, you know, it's always important to to discuss this with a healthcare professional, whether, you know, you need to modify those medications before you go for long periods of time without eating. Just something, you know, just as a safety note, it's worth checking. But generally time-restricted eating and time-restricted feeding is a very safe recommendation that can impact, as I said, you know, weight, blood sugar, immune system, inflammation levels, all kinds of things in the body. So it makes sense that when you, in, when you, when you make that recommendation with a patient, mm. Jeanette, all kinds of different diseases or conditions may start to improve. It may, it may not always, mm. but it's always worth a try. I, I find that incredible. Well, the gut starts healing itself. It goes into healing and repair mode. It's the autophagy, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so so incredible, incredible that you've been using this research for a few years, and I think it's also important to say that you know we don't have human trials yet saying in ulcerative colitis, time restricted eating or time restricted feeding helps to put ulcerative colitis into remission. We don't have a trial that. What we do have is very well conducted animal research. Sachin Panda talks about his app where they're collecting human data from all over the world and. Early human trials are underway. But I feel like you, Jeanette, I feel very happy making this recommendation with my patients, particularly those who are suffering from a condition, because I can't really see any downside. And intuitively, it makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I hope people who are listening to this, if you weren't convinced by Professor Panda's podcast, which I presume you possibly were, you know, Jeanette is actually 
there, seeing patients mm. in real life and seeing incredible benefits. So I'd highly encourage you guys to give it a try. Mm. And diverticulitis as well. Wow. Yeah, that was the other one within a month too. So tell me about that patient. That was, again, the 16 hours, exactly the same thing and completely resolved Has it after taken, a month. Well, that's incredible. Has it taken you a bit of trial and error to figure out, you know, that you're recommending an eight-hour eating window and a 16-hour fast? Or is there a degree of, for people listening, is there a degree of flexibility there? With those sort of big cases where people are really, you know, in a bad, they're in a bad way, they they need to get their lives back. I've, I've just been getting on with the 16-hour thing and the people involved were, were just ready to do it, you know. But what is interesting is after that first four, four six weeks is, I mean, I, no one's going to do that forever and ever and ever. We're then transitioning on to 14 hours. 14 hours. So that would yeah. be, yeah. you know, you're eating in a 10-hour window. Yeah. So that would be, yeah. let's say, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. So yeah. you're using that as a short-term yes, that's intervention yeah. and then you're expanding it out. Yeah, yeah that's... You know, I, yeah, I think that, that's a great idea. And I, I would also say that I do genuinely believe that for most of us, we can start to implement a 12-hour eating window for the majority of our days. So right? i tell you what, when I was a kid, we always had a 12-hour fast. There yeah. were no snacks in my house, you know, my parents. And and the the kitchen door was shut. We'd, we'd eat dinner at six o'clock. And the, that was it. My mum and dad would do the washing up by hand and shut the door. And the, the, we didn't have a biscuit tin in the house. It was like, I mean, I'm, obviously I'm showing my age here, but it was like <laughs> as I've got older and older, that our kind of sort of eating culture has just changed so radically. Yeah, and, and uh, that, there's the irony there that actually we probably didn't need research on time restricted eating 100 years ago because (laughs) everyone was probably doing it anyway. It's only now because of this culture where we have access to food all the time you know we've we've you know whether you know i see it in my kids that go to school this whole snack culture now you know there's a snack mid-morning a snack mid-afternoon what's the snack when you go and pick them up you know it's just snack 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 everywhere and again you know i i appreciate some of you feel that they need them but i would always say that there's probably an underlying issue which is change your metabolism so that you do need or you think you need those snacks and while snacking in the short term may, you know, feed that energy crisis or that blood sugar drop, in the long term we need to understand what is the root cause of that. Um, yeah, I just want to go into IBS a little bit, irritable bowel syndrome, and you know, your book has, has had phenomenal reviews. You know, it's the gut makeover, and it's a it's a very practical, simple guide to helping people revolutionise their health by improving their gut health. Since you wrote the book in 2015, has anything changed? Have you come up with, have you found things that you think, actually, you know what, if I was writing it now, I'd write it in a different way or I'd add some things in? Okay, well, I'll tell you the things that are just for for, for the long term in there are just eat a massive diversity of different fruit and vegetables. And why is that? that's really, really important because the more diversity of fruit and vegetables you have with all the fibre, the textures, the colour, the plant chemicals and everything in there, that that promotes uh, lots of diversity of different bacteria in, in the gut. And when you have diversity of bacteria then that is um that that correlates with good health everything from you know good weight to uh, you know a strong immune system to um good gut health yeah, that's one, to brain health because that's one of the things we do know about yeah. gut health i mean a lot of people say oh it's too early you know we need more research and yes you know everyone in microbiome research i recently spoke to professor john cryan who's one of the world's it. leading yeah. researchers in gut health 
you know, he's very keen not to, you know, overstate some of the benefits. You know, he's a scientific researcher. Know, yeah. He wants to make sure we've got robust studies before they start making recommendations. But I think what everything is, what everyone is agreed on is that a diverse microbiome, so one where there's lots of different species interacting in harmony with each other, is considered to be a strong and healthy microbiome. And you're saying that actually, if people can focus on increasing the diversity of their diets, yes. lots of different colours, fruit yep. and vegetables, all these kind of things, you know, that's going to help promote diversity. Absolutely. And you go into that in your and book. I, and yeah. I do. Uh, what I do there is I've basically designed a diet for one month where I'm trying to sort of, you know, tick as many boxes as possible, sort of boost your whole microbiome and sort of help, you know, reduce inflammation in the body as well. So in there, you've got the diversity. You've also, um, I took out all the grains, mainly because it, there's more space on the plate for all these lovely vegetables than that you, you, you're going to get in every meal. this is a short-term meal. recommendation, right? It's a four-week, right? four weeks, yeah. four weeks. What, what, and, and then in the second half, you start to put some fermented foods in there as well for the probiotic bacteria to populate the gut. Um, and uh, that you, you don't drink any alcohol for a month. Um, so what would I do? Dif- what would I do differently now? And also, I have a twelve-hour overnight fast in there. I tell okay. you what, I would do different now is I would put more emphasis on the, and especially having heard Sachin just last week with the fourteen hours and what I'm seeing with sixteen hours. I think I would put more emphasis on the time-restricted feeding because I do meet people who've done done the plan, and some of them haven't taken the twelve-hour thing very seriously. And I think now I would I would just write more pages on it and give more examples about why that is so important. Give more emphasis to it. Yeah, so actually, you yeah. know, I've, I sort of, I was lecturing with Sachin last year in Iceland and we went out for dinner. We had a chat and, you know, still trying to figure out what is that ideal recommendation for public health. Mm. Um, but I think Sachin often recommends a 10-hour window because he thinks, well, you know, I may be slightly, I'm just trying to remember this correctly, but it actually said, look, you know, if you say 10 hours and it might end up being 11 hours, it might end up being 12 hours because, you know, if you make a recommendation, not everyone's going to stick to it and yeah. they may try, but just go a little bit over, um, which I think is a, a good tip. And I think clinicians like me and people like yourself mm. who see patients, we've, we've come up with our own strategies to, you know, our own little tips to help our patients actually do what we would love them to do to help improve their health. So that's interesting. So you give a bit more emphasis emphasis onto time-restricted eating. Totally, yeah. One, one thing that comes up quite a lot is a lot of the foods that we recommend yes. to improve people's gut health, some people with irritable bowel syndrome symptoms yeah. can't tolerate them very well. I know, this is such a massive topic, yes. And again, I think if I was you know, writing that again, I would put some emphasis on, on this as well. Because so many of the people that I see in my clinical practice have at some stage done this FODMAP diet. It's basically, you know, um, a diet that it has been designed to help alleviate the symptoms of IBS. But it involves cutting out of the diet loads and loads of vegetables. So things like leeks and mushrooms. And there's a big long list of them if you look online. So so people often have done that for a short spell. they my understanding from people who work, you know, with their GPs or whatever or done it is that they're only supposed to do it for a month or so, but they often find a bit of relief during that month and are holding on tight to it. And I might meet them two, three, four, five years later. When and they're still they're, on it. And they're still on it. Oh, wow. And they're still ha- and they're, and horrendous gut problems, but they're too scared to go back to any of those foods. So the benefits from it have by that stage gone. and 
they but they they're very scared of those foods it's almost it, do you know what i mean it becomes a bit of a there's fear attached fear, around it and, yeah, and i yeah. think that's something we all yeah. got to be careful of yes. when we talk about food is that yes there are foods that are more healthy than others but i think some of our patients and some of your clients probably you know if if we don't do our job as well as we could do in, in the way we talk about these things you know people can sometimes have a really unhealthy relationship with certain foods and really start to be very, very scared of them. And I, I, th- I think, you know, for me, the whole FODMAP diet really makes me think of something you said right at the start, which is, you know, if people have been struggling with symptoms for so long that it's really impacted what they can do in their life, you know, they're willing to try anything. And if a low FODMAP diet gives them symptom relief, mm. like, you know what, well, I can take yes, this exactly. because I'm not getting my bloating. I'm not getting that urge to go to the toilets. But, you know, I spoke to um, Megan Rossi, who is a dietitian who talks a lot about the, the low FODMAP diets in, in the podcast a few episodes ago. And again, Megan's also the opinion, like you, like myself, that the, the low FODMAP diet is just a short-term intervention. You know, it's it can take the sting out of things. It can help calm things down. It can help make life a lot more tolerable. But ultimately, you want to try and fix the situation that the root causes so that you can start to reintroduce some of those foods that ultimately, the long term, are going to be very, very healthy for your microbiome. So do you use the low FODMAP diets with your patients? No, never. never no. So that's not something you do. So you... No, no, I actively avoid it because my goal is to get you to having as bigger diversity of different fruit and vegetables in your diet as possible. And what happens is when people have gone on the FODMAP for too long is that the microbiome becomes very depleted. I mean, I do stool testing with people and it comes back and, you know, on the diversity score, they're sort of right at the bottom. Um, And so right there, you can see why their gut problems are getting worse because, you know, because something you were trying to do for the good is actually in the long term making the situation even worse. Yeah, you're stopping I guess you're stopping putting in foods that are going to fan the flames, but you're not trying to figure out how to put that fire out in the first place. And so what you're trying to do is help them. Personalise. Personalisation is absolutely the key to this. And what you find is when those people start saying, right, and we agree between us. So which of those which of those foods that you've been avoiding for quite a long time should we start by reintroducing? And they might say, oh, well, I used to love mushroom soup. I used to love it. Right. So it's like, well, look, make mushroom soup. And, you know, you do, um, you know, I give them a handout and they sort of monitor their symptoms for three days. So I say, OK, try mushroom soup, make a bit, literally start with one tablespoonful the first day and monitor your symptoms. If you're bloating, if it's having a terrible impact. They build up over three days. But what I'm finding is that with a lot of people, there's a lot of FODMAP foods they can eat before we find which ones are actually, in their particular case, the triggers in for their particular gut. And when and you find some, those triggers, yes, do you avoid those yes, with them? Yes, we do. So like somebody might, you know, it might be the one thing they can't tolerate are leaks. Yeah. And, you know, all it is is leaks. Yeah. You can live your life without leaks, can't you? I don't know. I have a lot of leaks, but yeah, I probably could if I had to. <laughs> but you know what I mean? You, yeah. could, you could choose to have shallots instead, you know. it. So, And sometimes you just find it's actually a very small handful of foods that are the real problem. And people are, and things like mushrooms, there's, you know, they've got beta glucans in them, you know, very yeah, good for the immune system. And also they are prebiotic, which means they feed lots of good bacteria in the gut. So for to have a healthy gut long term, 
if that's one of the foods you actually can tolerate, it's such a shame that you're not having it in there. So we, I'm, we're trying to find which ones, in your particular case, you can tolerate and start to build them back in. And as you're building in back in these foods, people are getting better. Yeah, and, and they're sort of nourishing their gut. And, and ironically, yeah. often it makes them, you know, it makes it easier for them to tolerate those foods that right at the start they couldn't have. That's right, because they've got you've got a more robust microbiome and it helps your digestion of everything better. Yeah, so that's I think that's great tips for people there, you know, and if if you are one of those people who have tried a low FODMAP diet and you are still on one because you find that it actually helps you with your symptoms, you know, well done for doing that, well done for actually trying to sort of you know, take control of your health and do something. But it may be worth talking to someone like either your GP or getting referred to someone or talking to a nutritional therapist like Jeanette to actually try and figure out actually what can you start to reintroduce? How can we start to help you, you know, diversify your diet so that you can build a strong, healthy gut microbiome? I mean, we're not going into this area today, but one thing I always do with my IBS patients you know, stress is a huge trigger and it's something I always tackle with them because I find even when I can give them some good stress management techniques, that can also help to start improving gut function. So, of course, the other thing I've noticed a lot with IBS as well, there's often, um, you know, things that have happened in people's childhoods as well that, you know, if they trust you and these things start to come out, you you find that there can be some quite big things, you know, sexual abuse, things like that, that have happened in the past. And so getting them or directing them towards talking therapy, uh, talking therapy at the same time, that can be really helpful. Yeah, too. Do you know, yeah I think you raise a great point there, which is that um, irritable bowel syndrome, like so many of the other chronic complaints that we're seeing today in practice, have got you know, multi, multiple factors that are driving them. Yes. You know, diet is one component. Even when you talk about IBS, you know, we think, oh, it's a diet thing, right? Because it's to do with our guts. No, you know, diet is one part of that. But stress and trauma are very, very important parts. And I also see that, uh, Jeanette. I see that there is, uh, in many cases, not all of them, it may be that I've not, I've not managed to uncover it in mm. some people, but certainly I can only go from my clinical practice. I see in many cases, there are some underlying emotional issues that need resolving. And, you know, often I feel my role is just to, you know, just to sort of open that door a little bit and then either continue that with them or, or pass them on and refer them on to a trained counsellor or therapist to help them. So I, you know, mm. thanks for raising that. because I think it's mm. a very important point. And often, you know, I find until those issues are properly dealt with, we hit a plateau. Mm. I can only go so far with diet. I don't know if you find that as well. Well, the other thing, and I love this in your book about the movement, um, you know, people can be just sort of focusing really hard on the diet and like have a conversation with somebody and, you know, they're actually seated 12 hours of the day, these IBS patients, you know, yeah. uh, um, driving to work, then being in very sort of demanding jobs and driving home. And, you know, and it's only as we're talking, you know, and, and they're explaining it to me, I, I might feed it back and go, do you realise you're you're seated for 12 hours a day? And they go, really? I've not really thought about it like that. Do you know what I mean? And I said, you don't, you're not having a lunch break either, are you? And they're like, um, no, I haven't got time for lunch. You know, they're eating at the desk and all that stuff as well. Yeah. But, 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 um, but physical activity is important, right? For well, our guts. Yes, totally. Because, you know, when, when, when you're, you're, you know, moving and, um, so on your, your, your gut bacteria improves and you produce short chain fatty acids, which help with the gut lining and to keep that repaired and in good shape. So again, moving 
moving around if you have IBS is really important. And I have directed many people to your book on the movement oh, because, you know, you. the movement snacking. Because, yeah. you know, um, I'm, I'm just talking to them about that. And uh, just, you know, to tell you about this, so some of them have really sort of like realised, oh, my God, you know, I am sat seated 12 hours a day. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, of course. that They all say to me, God, that makes sense. It's a bit with the time-restricted feedings. People are always like, my God, that just makes logical sense. All of this sense. makes sense, yeah. right? It's yeah. just we've gone. We yeah. know, what, what I say to people is that the rules of good health have not changed you know, in the last 5, 10, 50, 100 years. What has changed is the modern environment in which we live. So therefore, we almost have to go back to some of these basic things that actually, until recently, were just part of everyday lifestyles and everyday culture, but we're almost having to relearn them and, and re-sort of imprint them into our modern, busy, stressful daily lives. Yeah, and rather than our environment, you know, dictating to us how we are, us, us, you know, dictating the environment. So these people, for instance, you know, I find out, well, what what could you do? You know, there's some of them, they, they, they go up and down the stairs in these high-rise buildings once an hour. I love and it. their colleagues think they're going for a coffee. I love it, man. I'm so happy hearing these things. These are, you know, this is what I did you know we're sitting here in the basement of penguin in um in central london and i think i've told the story in the podcast before but i really you know i gave them a well-being talk and i encouraged them so guys you're on the eighth floor right what if from tomorrow morning not next week and not next january what if from tomorrow morning you all help to encourage each other those of you that can go up and down the stairs at least once a day and it's incredible, you know, they, they pretty much all were doing it the following morning. And I think it was about 80, 85% of them were still doing it four times a week, four to six months on. Just Wonderful. incredible yeah. when something a lot of them weren't doing, but just by opening up their eyes to that possibility and having their friends and their colleagues helping them, they're still doing that. And that's going to help people's IBS symptoms as well. Totally. You know, it's one piece of the puzzle. So. Mm. Jeanette, look, I really appreciate you sharing some of those real-life stories from your clinic. I wonder if we could just finish off with four sort of four big tips that I can leave and that we can leave my listeners with that they can start putting into practice, hopefully immediately, to start improving their health. Okay, so the first one I would say is maybe keep a, um, a diary about your drinking because I think that a lot of us, we don't realise till we actually see it in black and white how much we are drinking. Alcohol. Yes, and I think that, you know, especially in IBS or if you've got a weight issue, it's a big factor. So, you know, it's just worth seeing it in black and white and sometimes that can, you know, you start to have a conversation with yourself about, well, actually maybe my partner and I, we, we'll, we'll try and do this, that or the other. It's much easier to drink less if you've, if you've got support and, you know, you're supporting each other, you know, you're Absolutely. Not, not alone. That really, so really document helps. it so you actually know. I think it's a great tip. Yeah, I would. I would. Um, the other thing is I would do the eat in a 10-hour window. If you've got a weight issue or a digestive issue, start start trying to eat in this 10 hour and be really really anal about it by the way um you know uh, I, I as well i have like a template i give people and sort of on one column they write you know what time they um ate the breakfast they started eating the breakfast and at what time they finished the last mouthful of food in the evening there's no sort of like you know and i say nothing but herbal tea or uh water in Out the, with that. Yeah, uh, in, in the fast um in the fast. period okay yeah, great but, so but that's what I, where I'm seeing. I know you spoke with Sachin the other day and talked about whether you have black coffee or not. I'm finding that herbal tea and water is how it's working. Fine, and that's then, great. And so then, it's very clear that yeah, people can hear yeah, it and go, yeah, okay, yeah, fine, I'm going to yeah. try that. And that's so, what I'm finding works. Um, third tip? 
Uh, third tip would, and we haven't actually even touched on this much, have we? Is fermented food. Um, you well, know, there's a lot on that yeah, in your book, yes, right? Yes. Well, you did mention what would more would you do with the book if you were writing now? I would have a, a, a bigger section on the fermented food. Is that because you're seeing a, you know, that really help people in yes, your clinic? Yes. And also, it's much more accessible than it was even three years ago. So when I wrote the book and I uh, first gave it to my agent, his immediate reaction was, oh my God, Jeanette, this has to be food in this book that's accessible and people get in regular supermarkets. <laughs> and I really appreciate that guidance from him and the publisher at the time because I think that's what made this a very, one of the things that made this a very practical, doable book. But in there I had kefir. And kefir, if you don't know about it, is a fermented drinking, is a fermented milk that is like drinking yogurt. And it's got... It should have billions of bacteria in it if it's been produced, you know, authentically. Um, and at the time, I had been using um, kefir based on very small studies to do with sleep. And there were a few other things around um, from about 2012. But I had been sending my clients down to a local Eastern European shop that was selling kefir because at that time you could only get it in like the Polish, the Hungarian and now shops it's everywhere, and, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so at the, I had to kind of beg them and I was like, please, can I have, keep the kefir in there because it makes a big difference you know especially with the sleep and the mood and but that's you know, a great the, thing isn't it as awareness yeah. grows about these things yeah. then the demand grows yes. and it becomes more accessible for people so you're, you're big on fermented foods yes. kefir being one of those yeah and the other thing that i'm really into myself now is you know making kombucha and i'm making um sauerkraut because they're easy to make as well Fantastic. but coming back to just fermented foods yes if you're not at the moment having fermented foods yeah look out for things like kefir they are in all the supermarkets now and they taste delicious you just put them in the blender with a handful of you know berries in the morning spoonful wow. of flax seeds and you've got a very gut friendly breakfast there and it's very filling with the flax seeds those are prebiotic feed the good bacteria in the gut do you see what i mean you know tick off loads of stuff and out Fantastic. you go. I love so, it. So that's a great tip three. Yes, yes. Uh, and guys, for those of you listening, before we get into Jeanette's final tip, you know, um, there's going to be a show notes page, which is drchatterjee.com forward slash gut makeover. So if you go there, everything me and Jeanette have spoken about and links to various articles, Jeanette's book, you know, Jeanette's social media channels are all going to be there if you want to connect with her afterwards, or you just want to follow up on some of the things that we've discussed. So Jeanette, what's that final tip, would you say? Okay, it's diversity. If you're having the same breakfast every day, stop immediately. You just go to a supermarket, go to the frozen section and make sure you get... Just fill a drawer of your freezer if you've got all the top, you know, bit of the fridge, which might be your, free, your little freezer section, and just fill it with different fruits because if you have you need to have different ones every day and what I'm loving about the supermarkets at the moment is you know you just go to Tesco or something like that and they've got you know mangoes coconuts you know berries um, mixed fruits everything all in frozen form frozen. and frozen by the way if you do look at the research it's fine it, it still keeps its color the polyphenols and, and the um, the plant chemicals in it, and it's still got all the fibre. Those are the two bits of it you need for your gut health, and it's much cheaper and it's convenient. And often I work with people; they live alone. You know, you're not going to buy all this fruit, and then there's only one of you eating yeah. it. So, so always on hand, right? And, and it's cheap, and it's cheaper, and it's cheaper. So, Jeanette, that's um, a great tip. So that diversity. So just keep the diversity, and if you're going out, you know, at lunchtime, just you know, wherever you are, you know, getting your just try order something different. If you're in the restaurant right look at the side dishes oh when did i last have 
aubergine. I will order the aubergine. Or it might be something that you don't like favour cooking at home, like, you know, Jerusalem artichokes or something. Have it when you're out. Yeah. Have them when you're out. Or, and then when you're out and about, just be very conscious about, all oh, right, I had the Niswar salad yesterday. Oh, I'll have the, um, you know, the Middle East and falafels with the bloody blah today. You know, just, yeah. just, just. Keep life interesting. Do you know, for that's, I love it. So, four very, very practical tips for people that they can start implementing in their life immediately. For those listeners who want to stay in touch with you, where can they find you on social media? Well, I'm on Instagram, Jeanette Hyde Nutrition, two N's and two T's. I'm on Twitter. Jeanette Hyde, and I am. I have a really, actually, quite a lively Facebook group called the Gut Makeover, and uh, I post stuff regularly on there that I think will be helpful. And also, people interact with each other on that one. Oh, as fantastic! Well. well, okay, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna link to all of those channels in the show notes. DrChastity.com forward slash Gut Makeover. So please, if this podcast has inspired you, if you're interested in, in hearing more from Jeanette, please do go to those show notes and check out those links that I put in there, Jeanette. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you and um, I hope we get the chance to do it again at some point in the future. Thank you. That concludes today's episode of the Feel Better, Live More podcast. I hope it has left you feeling inspired to make some changes in your own lifestyle. If you have not yet heard episodes 21 and 22 with Professor Sachin Panda, I highly recommend that you give them a listen They have proved to be two of my most popular podcasts to date, and we discuss the incredible benefits of time-restricted eating. This is a super accessible strategy to help you improve your overall health. Obviously, Jeanette is a huge fan, and so am I. If you want to continue your learning experience now that the conversation is over, do take a look at the show notes page at drchastity.com forward slash gut makeover where you can see everything that was discussed today as well as links to further blogs on gut health. As always, please do let us know what you thought of today's show by tagging us both on social media. In fact, why not take a screenshot of this episode right now and post on your social media channels? If you regularly enjoy my weekly podcasts, one of the best ways to support it is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. These reviews help to raise visibility of the podcast, which in turn helps me to attract better guests. Of course, feel free to support this podcast in the good old-fashioned way of spreading the word by telling your friends and family about the show. Stress is a big contributing factor to all gut problems, and I cover this in detail in my book, The Stress Solution which is full of simple and accessible tools to help you de-stress so that you can live a happier and calmer life. It is available to order right now in paperback or in the audiobook, which I am narrating. For those of you new to the podcast, my very first book, The Four Pillar Plan, is all about helping people to make simple and accessible lifestyle changes. If you don't have a copy yet, please do consider picking one up. And for those of you listening in the US and Canada, The Four Pillar Plan is available to buy over there with a different title, which is How to Make Disease Disappear. That's it for today. I hope you have a fabulous week. Make sure you have pressed subscribe. And I'll be back next week with my latest conversation. Remember, you are the architects of your own health. Making lifestyle change is always worth it. Because when you feel better, you live more. I'll see you next time.